Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to CWTG. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Chilling with Teddy G on this uh, Black History Month. Today, on our Black History episode, we're going to be doing a story on uh, Fred Hampton. Now, I don't know if everybody is familiar with Fred Hampton, but he was a, uh, a activist and a leader in the uh, Black Panther Party. And uh, he was subsequently killed for his uh, uh, leadership and his role in the uh, civil rights movement. Now, Fred Hampton was a leader in the Black Panther Party who was harassed and targeted by the uh, local law enforcement as well as the FBI, resulting in his murder uh, during a police raid on his apartment on December 4, uh, 1969. Now, uh, uh, Fred Hampton, who was, uh, his full name was uh, Frederick Allen uh, Hampton, was a... Uh, born on uh, uh, August 30th, 1948. And as I just told you, they killed him on December 4th, 1969. That makes him about 21 years old, ladies and gentlemen. Just goes to show you how they uh, uh, they saw this uh, uh, gentleman as a threat to uh, annihilate him and kill him at the young tender age of uh, 21. Um, Fred Hampton, he joined the Black Panther Party, excuse me, George, <clears throat> joined the uh, Black Panther Party in uh, 1968, and he quickly rose in his ranks, both in Chicago and on the uh, national level. However, the Black Panther, uh, the Black Panthers became a uh, law enforcement target, as we all know, um, became a law enforcement target in the earlier hours of uh, uh, December 4th, 1969, where police raided uh, Hampton's apartment and shot the 21-year-old to death. A later investigation revealed that the police had uh, fired nearly 100 times um, while only one bullet came from the inside of the apartment and the uh, prior and prior to his death. Hampton had been uh, surveilled and tracked by the FBI, which we all know. Uh, he gives out a quote that says, uh, we're going to fight fire with water. We're going to fight racism, not with racism, but with uh, solidarity. We're not going to fight capitalism with black capitalism, but with socialism. We're not going to fight with all of us people getting together and having an international uh, proletical revolution. That was from Hampton. But it goes on to say that uh, uh, Frederick uh, Allen Hampton was born on uh, August 30th, uh, 1948, to Francis and Albera uh, Hampton. His birthplace uh, varies between our uh, sources. This is where they wasn't sure where he was born at, but it goes on to say that uh, he has been listed as a uh, Chicago, as well as the uh, Chicago suburbs of the uh, Summit, Maywood, or Blue Island, Illinois. Um, a book about the uh, Black Panther Party uh, states that Hampton was born in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. So they're pretty much unclear on where he came from, but we can pretty much say it was the uh, uh, Illinois uh, area. 
Okay, now that we have a little background done on him, let me uh, do my Copyright Disclaimer Act of 1976 under Title 17, Section 107. Allowances are made for the uh, fair use for the purpose such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarships, and research. Fair use is permitted by the copyright statute that may otherwise be infringing. Nonprofit, educational, or personal use tips the balance in the favor of fair use. Now that we got that dirty laundry out of the way, I want to uh, play a couple of um, audio clips about uh, um, uh, Fred uh, uh, Hampton and uh, what he has experienced during the time that he was trying to uh, um, <clears throat> get uh, rights, civil rights together for a uh, for Black Americans. And uh, yeah, he was uh, uh, he was a, a great man, ladies and gentlemen, who was uh, killed too early which was their plan because they knew if he had stayed around and was able to continue to uh, uh be the leader and be the activist of uh, the black panther group that this meant uh, um that things would be changing and a lot of uh, black more uh, a lot of more black americans would have been standing up for uh, uh their rights and for a lot of the uh, human right issues that was going on Hampton grew up with an older brother and an older sister. His family was friendly with the family of Emmett Till before Emmett Till's uh, 1955 murder. Hampton's fa uh, family uh, moved to uh, Maywood, another uh, Chicago suburb, uh, when Hampton was about 10 years old. Uh, it goes on to say here that uh, Hampton attended an Ivy Elementary uh, School in Provost uh east high school in high school he led the uh, uh school's interracial uh committee he also protested the school uh only nominating white girls to run for the uh, homecoming queen which resulted in the uh, inclusion of black girls after graduating with honors from our proviso uh east high school hampton uh, studied a pre-law at uh, Trenton Junior College. He was also attended uh, Crane Junior College, later Michael Mexis College, and the uh, University of Illinois <clears throat> at Chicago Circle. Uh, Hampton led the uh, Youth Council at the NAACP West Suburb Chapter, growing uh, uh, membership to more than 500. He advocated for a community pool in his uh, hometown of Maywood, which led to an arrest of a uh, mob action following a demonstration in 1967. So that's something, ladies and gentlemen, that y'all have to understand about uh, about Fred Hampton and any other uh, black individual man. An educated black man was a threat to all the white Americans. This you have to know. And by this man uh, attending his these colleges and becoming uh, familiar with uh, uh, laws, and um, rules and and police pol policies and procedures and things like that uh oh yeah this definitely made him a threat to white america and they wasn't gonna have it you know just like they didn't wasn't gonna have it out of uh, martin luther king they wasn't gonna have it out of uh, uh mega evers they wasn't gonna have it out of malcolm x and these are all individuals ladies and gentlemen who were assassinated they wasn't even gonna have it out of their own which was uh, uh, the Kennedys, which were also assassinated. Uh, the divided snakes of America, ladies and gentlemen, is an evil place and has been for a long time. That's why they go by a lot of names that the people get out of the uh, Bible, like uh, Babylon. 
and then not too far from right. Now it goes in uh, November of 1968, where Hampton uh, helped found the uh, Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party. Uh, from that base in Chicago, uh, he served as a chairman uh, of that local chapter. Though um, Hampton was just 20, he became a respected leader in the uh, party, aided by his uh, talent for uh, public speaking and um, experiences in community organizing that included the work that he did with the NAACP. Now, as a, as a Black Panther, uh, Hampton uh, had arranged for uh, community services such as a free breakfast and health clinics. He also oversaw the information, I mean, excuse me, the formation of a rainbow coalition between the uh, Panthers and local gangs like the Puerto Rican Young Lords and the uh, White Young Patriots, whose families had migrated from the Appalachians. Unfortunately, Hampton's success and his rising profile uh, resulted in a negative attention from law enforcement. And you got to ask yourself, well, you don't have to ask yourself, you got to know. Now, what will be negative about um, forming uh, uh, free breakfast clubs and, 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 and health clinics to uh, help people out and then getting gangs together to join on one accord? You know, this stops gang violence. This stops a whole lot of things. I'm going to tell you why, though. You already know why. Because law enforcement and people of authority seeing this as a threat because he's doing something that they don't want to happen. They don't want to see peace in our community. They don't want to see a lower crime rate. They don't want to see us all coming together all on one accord and building a community that we can respect and, and, and live in and thrive and flourish in. No, they didn't want that. That's the reason why it goes on to say that the uh, FBI director, J. Um, J. Edgar Hoover, uh, once declared that the uh, Black Panther Party was the greatest threat to the internal, listen to this, the internal security of the country, which means he did not want us doing what I just told y'all. He didn't want us coming together. He didn't want us thriving. He didn't want us uh, prospering. They didn't want us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps like we were doing. Oh, no, this was a threat to... to uh, uh, um, to their uh, internal security, according to them. He also feared uh, the rise of a messiah that would uh, unify and electrify the militant uh, nationalist uh, movement. Of course it would. And they were scared of that. They were scared of us coming up. And this is 2021, ladies and gentlemen. And as you can see, things have not changed much when it comes to the uh, law enforcement and the way that uh, uh, they are acting now. They are just as much as uh, race soldiers now as they were back then. Now, to encounter these uh, uh, perceived threats, the Bureau uh counterintelligence program known as the uh, counterpro uh, sought to discredit and undermine uh, black groups and black leaders two weeks before his death uh, Hampton was uh, um, uh, added to the FBI's listen at this agitator index a list of people Hoover considered potentially threats to the national security a threat to the national security can you believe that they're, they're saying this and, and acting like uh, these are, 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 are terrorists from another country? 
who are simply black people uh, who are civil rights uh, leaders and organizers who's trying to um, better the uh, situations in the black community where we can thrive and prosper. But that goes to show you, ladies and gentlemen, that the white people, or as I uh, affectionately term them uh, in the African term as a Mzungus, Mzungus did not want that. That that was threatening their way of life. That was threatening the uh, of them uh, being able to continue to keep their foot on our necks, as to say. Oh, no, they couldn't have that. They couldn't have uh, equal rights. They couldn't have uh, a black, hardworking individual thinking that they were just as good as the uh, uh, Mzungu folks. Oh, no, that wasn't going to stand. Not not if uh, um, law enforcement and J. Edgar Hoover and, uh, uh, had anything to say about it. Oh, that wasn't going to happen. Now, in conjunction with that, you remember you got local uh, law enforcement who also pursued uh, uh, Hampton. While he was appearing on television in January in 1969, Chicago police arrested him on an old traffic warrant. Later of that year, Hampton was on trial for stealing some ice cream bars, listen to this, in the Chicago suburbs of Maywood in uh, 1968. And a charge that he still denied all the way up to the time that they assassinated him. Now, to show you how bad they wanted him, if you can believe this or not, Hampton was convicted and sentenced two to five years in prison for an ice cream bar that he uh, denies that he ever stole or the situation never happened. But they locked him up, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, it goes to show you that they really considered him uh, a threat to their way of life. Okay, now it goes on to say that tensions between the uh, Panthers and the police also arose when two officers and a Panther, a Black Panther, were uh, killed during a November 1969 shootout. Authorities felt that uh, Hampton's role in the uh, party linked him to uh, the police death. Listen, listen to that. Though he was out of town when the confrontation took place. He wasn't even in town, but that didn't matter. Because of who he was and because of what he was doing, ladies and gentlemen, that, as far as they're concerned, that automatically linked him to it. Now, and as you know, ladies and gentlemen, now they use that as a, a tool in their arsenal to lock up black people if they're with someone else who committed a crime. Regardless of whether they know the crime was going off or they didn't participate in the crime but yet was in the vicinity. Oh, yeah, they use that. They got a law now, as y'all all know you know, that uh, they can lock you up with and make you a, 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 a party guilty of the crime that was committed, even though technically you had nothing uh, to do uh, with that crime. But I digress. Um, it goes on to say that uh, uh, Hampton wasn't, a, uh, wasn't the only Panther who was under pressure. Other party members had been killed or were behind bars, or or they left the United States. And then uh, with the leaders like uh, uh, Huey P. Newton and uh, Bobby Seals out of commission while facing criminal charges, Hampton was elevated to the national spokesman uh, for the party shortly before his death. Okay, so it goes on to say that on December 4th, 1969, Hampton was at his apartment on the Chicago West Side. 
other Panthers, including Hampton's uh, pregnant fiance, were also in the uh, residence. At approximately 4.45 a.m., a dozen uh, police officers executed a search warrant for uh, illegal weapons and raided the apartment. Almost immediately after they kicked open the door, Hampton's fellow Black Panther, uh, Mark Clark, was killed by a bullet that struck, um, struck him in his heart. So it goes on to say that a layout of Hampton's apartment provided by uh, uh, Willie O'Neill and an FBI informant who had joined the uh, Panthers had been uh, given to the police prior to the raid. So that means they had these inside individuals, this uh, William O'Neill, and he had an, um, helped an informant from the FBI get in there. So now they done mapped out and laid out the apartment so they know exactly how many rooms was in there and probably exactly where they would be able to uh, uh, locate um, uh, Hampton and the rest of the party that may have been in there. So it goes on to say that the night of the, uh, of the raid, O'Neill had also allegedly dosed uh, Hampton with a sleep-induced uh, inducing barbiturate so police officers headed to uh, Hampton's bedroom and fired at the bed striking Hampton uh, missing his fiance which was uh, uh, surely a, a, a coincidence because I guarantee you ladies and gentlemen they wanted to murder her as well as murdering him Akua Najiri then known as uh, Barbara Johnson and uh, Najiri uh, uh, later uh, stated that after the uh, police removed her from the uh, room, they said Hampton was barely alive. She had then heard two shots, following by the words, he's good and dead now. So that goes to show you, ladies and gentlemen, that this was nothing more than a, a state-sanctioned murder of this young man who was rising in the ranks of uh, the Black Panthers and becoming an activist where he was actually uh, helping the uh, black community and the white people just, they was not going to have that. FBI director wasn't going to have that. Now, it even goes on to say that no legal weapons were found during the raid, but the uh, seven black Panthers who survived, four of whom were injured, were arrested for uh, aggravated assault and attempted murder. But listen, they didn't the one who initiated the um, the uh, uh, the shooting or anything like that. But yet, this is how they get caught up. But then, ladies and gentlemen, the same thing is still happening today. When you, when we if we wanted to talk about Kenneth Walker, who was trying to protect the home of him and his fiance, uh, Brianna Taylor, right where they tried to convict him of uh, attempted murder because he was protecting their home because of the very same thing that was happening here. Uh, 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 law enforcement who was serving in, in today's time they call a no-knock warrant. So you, what I'm trying to tell you, you see what, what was happening back then, ladies and gentlemen, is still happening again today. Now, as the apartment uh, was not sealed off, the Black Panther Party subsequently uh, offered tours of the scene, though the police account was that they had had been uh, responding to gunfire. This story was debunked when uh, what had been uh, described by uh, law enforcement as holes created by Panther bullets uh, were shown to only be nail heads. Now, charges against the uh, uh, Panthers 
uh, uh, who survived the raid was dismissed in 1970. The same year, a federal grand jury investigator also found that uh, police had fired anywhere between 82 and 99 times with only one shot uh, coming from those in the uh, uh, inside the apartment. A Cook County, and, I'm, and you can imagine that, ladies and gentlemen. You know, a barrage of bullets coming through the door like that. I'm, you got to be surprised that they got one one shot off. They were probably, uh, you know, hiding uh, or trying to get behind something to save their lives. That's the reason why you can't say that it was a gunfire. Okay, this guy shoots one time and the police fire a uh, hundred times. Come on, miss me with it. Anyway, it goes on to say that the uh, the Cook County State's Attorney at the time, uh, Edward um, Haranen, who had uh, uh, um, directed the raid, was uh, indicted for obstruction of justice in 1971, along with an assistant and 12 officers from the raid. However, as it is today, ladies and gentlemen, no convictions resulted from these charges. And we've seen this happen too many times uh, in, in our lives. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a break here for uh, a quick commercial, and then we'll be right back with the rest of this story. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Now, it says here that uh, Haranahan was uh, voted out uh, of office in 1972, and this was a, uh, a harbingering of, uh, of shifting the uh, uh, Chicago uh, politics. Uh, leading to the election of the uh, first black mayor uh, in Chicago, uh, Harold Washington. That was in 1983. Uh, the same year, a settlement was reached for the uh, city of Chicago, Cook County, and the uh, federal government paid uh, $1.85 million to the uh, survivors of the raid and to the uh, Hamptons and Clark families with a ruling that stated that the uh, government uh, had conspired against the Black Panther Party and violated their civil rights um of the uh, plaintiffs now uh hampton's uh, uh funeral was at the uh, first baptist church of Melrose on december 9th in 1969 and uh that uh um happened let me see uh at the uh uh, Peoria, Illinois, uh, there was more than uh, 5,000 people in attendance. And the uh, uh, the eulogies was done by uh, the Reverend Jesse Jackson, as well as uh, uh, Ralph Abernathy. Uh, and you know that uh, Jesse Jackson at the time, well, still is now the uh, Southern uh, uh, Christian Leadership Conference, uh, him and Reverend Abernathy uh, eulogized the, uh, the slain activists. Years later, law enforcement uh, officials admitted the wrongdoing in the uh, killing of Hampton and Clark in 1990, and later in 2004, the Chicago uh, City Council passed a resolution commemorating uh, December 4th as uh, Fred uh, Hampton Day. But it just goes to show you, ladies and gentlemen, how crooked and how nefarious uh, local law enforcement and the FBI were, I mean, in an effort to uh, neutralize the uh, Chicago uh, Black Panther Party, uh, the, uh, the the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Chicago Police placed the uh, chapter under heavy surveillance and conducted uh, uh, several uh, harassment campaigns in 1969, as I stated earlier. 
and uh, several other Black Panther Party members and the uh, police officer uh, were either injured or killed in shootouts and other um, uh, uh, over uh, 100 uh, local members of the uh, Black Panther Party were arrested. So, ladies and gentlemen, they do not want you to have a real so-called true uh, black uh, um, activist, a leader, a real black leader. That's the reason why uh, you have so many issues now when it comes to YouTube and, and them getting rid of your your uh, episodes or banning your, your, your channels altogether. And this is just a part of the uh, Mazungu nation, ladies and gentlemen, which is the white nation that just do not want to have uh, um, uh, uh, figures like this who will move black America people into doing the right things, into uh, uh, planning, uh, making the proper plans for uh, um, economic economic achievement and, 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 and doing something about the way these uh, uh, imperfect injustice systems uh, are, are running this country. And the way that they're just keeping their foot on the necks of uh, necks of black Americans. Now you know Hampton's story has been untold in a, a 1971 documentary called "The Murder of Fred Hampton," and then they did it, uh, um, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, that's this year in February. Uh, so we, uh, I encourage you guys to go and check that out. That is a. a promises to be a very good movie very good documentary of uh of uh fred uh, hampton so let's uh do that and then ladies and gentlemen uh also ladies and gentlemen there has been uh uh evidence that has finally been released by the uh, uh fbi that wasn't previously released that was reported on by um uh, democracy now the quarantine report let's listen in to this uh, new evidence ladies and gentlemen that was uh, found that was um, being concealed by the federal bureau of investigations as black history month begins today we look back at the assassination of black panther leader fred hampton in chicago 51 years ago and how new documents reveal more details about the fbi's role in the murder of the 21 year old revolutionary fred hampton was killed december 4th 1969 when chicago police raided his apartment and shot and killed him in his own bed black panther leader mark clark was also killed by police in that raid authorities initially claimed the Panthers had opened fire on the police who were there to serve a search warrant for weapons. Evidence later emerged that told a very different story. The FBI, the Cook County State's Attorney's Office, and Chicago police had conspired to assassinate Fred Hampton. Now, several hundred pages of FBI memos and reports obtained by historian and writer Aaron Leonard through a Freedom of Information Act request document that the director of the FBI's Domestic Intelligence Division, William Sullivan, and the head of the extremist section of the Domestic Intelligence Division, George Moore, both played key roles in planning the raid and the cover-up that followed. For more on what these documents say, we're joined by Flint Taylor and Jeff Haas, founding...
section of the Domestic Intelligence Division, George Moore. Both played key roles in planning the raid and the cover-up that followed. For more on what these documents say, we're joined by Flint Taylor and Jeff Haas, founding members of the People's Law Office in Chicago, who are the lead lawyers in the landmark Fred Hampton and Mark Clark civil rights case. Their new piece for Truth Out is headline, New Documents Suggest J. Edgar Hoover Was Involved in Fred Hampton's Murder. Jeff Haas, let's begin with you. You wrote a book about Fred Hampton. Talk about what these new documents show and what you see as the smoking gun of J. Edgar Hoover's direct involvement. Thank you, Amy. Uh, well, first of all, it's 51 years after the incident and 40-some years after the trial. We had never gotten these documents before. But what they showed was that Hoover and Sullivan and Moore were following Roy Mitchell, a special agent in charge, very closely uh, with regard to O'Neill. And they were complimenting him and rewarding him from the moment he gave the information and the floor plan uh, to Special Agent Mitchell. They were congratulating Mitchell on what a wonderful job he did with this informant. Of course, Mitchell got the floor plan, gave it to Hanrahan's police, and that's what led to the raid. The floor plan even showed the bed where Hampton and Johnson would be sleeping. So we knew much of this. We knew O'Neill had gotten a bonus. We never knew Mitchell got a bonus. And we never knew that Hoover and Sullivan and Moore were starting to watch this in November, a week, um, 10 days before it happened. They were monitoring exactly what went on. And so it was approved at the highest level. And during the trial, we had sought to go up to Sullivan and Moore and Hoover, but the judge wouldn't allow us. And we thought perhaps even John Mitchell and Richard Nixon were involved. We didn't have these documents, so we couldn't uncover that. Uh, this also shows that after the raid, uh, the head of the FBI in Chicago met with and congratulated the informant O'Neill, thanked him for his information, which led to the success of the raid. Uh, what's also interesting is 51 years later, these documents still have redactions. Uh, there's a specific redaction because an FBI agent had been called in front of a grand jury and he was told if you get asked any questions about blank, which is the FBI, leave the grand jury and report to, so, to, report to your higher-ups. A year after the raid, the FBI role and COINTELPRO had never been disclosed. It was only about Hanrahan and the police. So it took us 13 years to uncover that it was COINTELPRO, a program whose objective was disrupt, destroy, and neutralize the Panthers, and specifically prevent the rise of a black messiah like Fred Hampton, who could unify and electrify the masses. It was this FBI program that led to the passing of the floor plan and the 90 shots and Fred Hampton executed in his bed at 2.30 at in the morning on December 4th. Now, now Jeff, you, you, uh, the documents also seem to indicate that there was a plan to cover up the FBI's involvement in the raid. Could you talk about that aspect of what you've uncovered? Yes. Uh, at the grand jury, this was a special state grand jury, because the black community was so outraged and there was a lot of pressure, they called a special grand jury. Well, they allowed the FBI agent who talked about who fired the guns, but they didn't allow anybody to talk about the floor plan or the role of the informant, William O'Neill, in setting up the raid and getting a bonus for it. So that was kept quiet. Matter of fact, if there hadn't been a raid at the Media Pennsylvania FBI office, we might never have learned about COINTELPRO. 
And, and in terms of why it's taken so long and there's still redactions on some of these documents, I mean, there's the, the, the assassination of President Kennedy, there have been documents released from that, and here, here we have a one radical uh, revolutionary in Chicago, and, uh, and it's taken so long just to get information about what actually happened. Well, let me put some light on that, ladies and gentlemen. That's because they didn't want that information to get out, and they still don't want it to get out. <clears throat> they excuse me. They don't want you to know how uh, uh, evil and, and, and how uh, malice and uh, nefarious they was toward uh, black Americans. And they still don't want you to know that today, even though uh, uh, President 45, you know, brought a lot of them out of the woodwork and they started actually showing their true colors, which, you know, most melanated individuals knew that already. But yes, even now, with the new information that they have received from this, um, from these uh, new obtained documents, there's going to always be redactions because they have to hide how um, hideous, how awful, um, and and how nefarious they are. They don't want to show you everything because that would reveal exactly what I just told you: the the, the hatred that they. That, uh, that they have for black Americans. Well, yes, I think the cover-up continues and the fact that many of these pages See? contain redaction, including the information from O'Neill. So the things the FBI has still not released, we think showing the involvement of higher-ups, we do have a continuous rewarding of the special agent Roy Mitchell referring to the success of the raid, how the raid was critical to the role of the FBI. So see, some of these documents are new, but for the next year, Roy Mitchell got congratulated for how well he had handled O'Neill and how important the information had gotten, and they called, continuously internally called the raid of success, while externally they were hiding it. Exactly. I want to bring Flint Taylor into this conversation, co-founder of the People's Law Office in Chicago. You and Jeff were arrested for protesting what you called uh, in the piece the outrageous rulings of the judge and the blatant misconduct of the defense. Can you explain what this trial was, Flint? Well, this was a trial, eight, 18 months uh, on trial, Jeff and I and others in our office. Uh, fighting to get these documents out, fighting to establish the role of the FBI. And we had a judge who was very similar to Judge um, Hoffman in the Conspiracy 8 trial, which many people may remember. Uh, and he was dead set against us. He was originally from Alabama. He was a racist. Uh, and he did not believe and would not let us get at the evidence uh, that the FBI was involved in this case. But we were developing this evidence along with the Senate select committee, the church committee. So we were exposing this evidence both in court and outside of court, and the judge was getting more and more upset with us. And so when we protested uh, the unfair rulings that he was making, he was keeping us from putting Hoover in the case. He was keeping us from putting uh, John Mitchell and uh, the others from Washington in the case. And he was um, uh, keeping us from getting the documents that showed the bonus to own Neil, the informant, uh, all of this we were fighting for day and day after day. And when we protested, both of us at various times were held in contempt and sent to the federal uh, lockup here in Chicago. 
but we kept fighting it. Uh, the judge threw the case out after 18 months of trial, believe it or not. He wouldn't let the jury decide the case. We fought to, uh, to appeal, and we won a, a remarkable decision in the Court of Appeals, uh, defended it in the U.S. Supreme Court, and 13 years of, of litigation and fighting uh, to get the evidence out, uh, we were ultimately able to, to uh, obtain one of the largest, if not the largest, police violence settlement for the families of Mark Clark and Fred Hampton and the surviving uh, Panthers uh, in the history at that time of, of the federal courts. And uh, Flint, for the, the younger members of, of our audience who really do not uh, perhaps uh, understand the role and significance of the Black Panther Party and, for instance, J. Edgar Hoover labeling them the greatest domestic threat to the U.S. government. Hoover was aware by then, although the public found out later, that they had been polling done, secret polling done, that showed that more than 25% of all African Americans at the time supported the uh, Black Panther Party. Can you talk about the party's significance? party was very significant, and its leadership was as well, and Fred Hampton was a, not only an up-and-coming leader, but a, a very charismatic and dynamic leader, and the Panthers uh, had a 10-point program. That program uh, covered the waterfront uh, with, with all sorts of revolutionary and socialistic programs, uh, free breakfast program, for example, a free medical clinic, for another example, a newspaper that came out every week and talked about the atrocities of, of the police and, and, and the government. It was very much an anti-imperialist organization, uh, fought against the war in Vietnam, said people should not go to Vietnam, uh, opposed mass incarceration before there actually was that term. Uh, and uh, also was very strong in setting up and fighting for coalitions between black, uh, Hispanic, or, or uh, like the Young Lords, of course, you know about that, Warren, Juan, and other organizations, uh, revolutionary and radical organizations. And this is another reason why Hoover feared uh, the Panthers so much, because they were bringing together all sorts of different radical and revolutionary groups, war, uh, groups against the war in Vietnam. Uh, and this was very threatening to the government at that time, and they targeted under the COINTELPRO program, which was focused to destroy the Black Panther Party uh, on Fred Hampton and the Black Panthers because they were so successful here in Chicago. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That's just how nefarious the uh, FBI was back then, and they are just as nefarious today. Now, before we end this show, uh, let's talk about this uh, uh, new movie, uh, Judas and the uh, Black Messiah. Let's go directly back to uh, uh, Democracy Now!, the quarantine report. We end today's show with a long-awaited feature new film that tells the story of Black Panther leader Fred Hampton and William O'Neill, the FBI informant who infiltrated the Illinois Black Panther Party to collect information that ultimately led to the execution of Fred Hampton in 1969 by law enforcement officers. The film is called Judas and the Black Messiah. It stars... Uh, Get Out's Daniel Kaluuya as Hampton, Lakeith Stanfield as 
William O'Neill, and Martin Sheen as FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover. It premieres tonight at the Sundance Film Festival. This is the trailer.
you know, obviously, as, as people know, the, the, there's just been so much negative propaganda put forth about the, uh, the Panthers as an organization that, that, you know, I just thought it was an opportunity to kind of correct the record and put it, couch it in sort of this genre movie that would, you know, go wide to the masses um, as opposed to, you know, just focusing on people who already were aware of it. Let's break for a quick uh, commercial break, and we'll be right back. Let's return to uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, speaking the uh, director, uh, Shaka King, on the Fred Hampton, the leader of the Black Panther Party. And your decision to uh, actually to try to humanize uh William O'Neill, the undercover agent, uh, showing the conflicts within him as well. Uh, it reminds me very much of another undercover agent in New York City, Eugene Roberts, who was on the security detail while Malcolm X was killed and who was a key figure in the Panther 21 trial because he infiltrated not only Malcolm X's organization but the Panther Party as well. Also an individual torn uh, in terms of his role. Could you uh, could you talk about your decision to uh, make William O'Neill such a key figure of the film? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you know for me, it wasn't hard to humanize them because at the end of the day, you know, it's human beings who make these decisions. And, you know, um, as opposed to sort of painting him as just this villainous character that everyone can kind of easily dismiss, I think, you know, making him, you know, more complex and visual, it gives an audience an opportunity to sort of put themselves in that position and kind of and ultimately interrogate the choices that you make. Because to me, you know, one of the upsides of making the movie about William O'Neill and Fred Hampton is that you're talking about two people who kind of exist on the polar ends of humanity. You know what I mean? You're talking about, like, the opposites, literally. You know, you have deep-seated capitalist ideology in, in William O'Neill, and you have a deep-seated socialist ideology in Fred Hampton. You have one of the most brave human beings of all time, and you have, you know, an, a person who demonstrated incredible cowardice. Um, you know, so you have an individualist, you have, you know, a person who is a master at building coalitions. Um, you have people who have two people with two very different definitions of power and freedom. Um, and so it was just an opportunity to kind of explore, you know, these two, like I said, polar opposite ideologies and then put the viewer in a place where at the end of the movie they kind of have to ideally, they don't have to, but ideally you, you find yourself questioning, like, where do I fall between these two ancestors, essentially? You also spend a, a considerable time in the film exploring how Fred Hampton sort to make alliances with uh, groups other than African Americans in terms of building a, a rainbow coalition, really, which the predecessor to Jesse Jackson's rainbow coalition was Fred Hampton's uh, rainbow coalition. Could you talk about that as well? Sure, sure. I mean, you know, I think that that was obviously one of the things that made Fred Hampton, I think, the, the Panthers a threat overall, um, was their willingness to um, just coalition build, not just with, you know, other black-led organizations, but also, you know, with poor whites, you know, with, with Latin Americans. I mean, we kind of, we, we I, you know, the focus of the movie isn't that, but it, was, it would have been, I mean, 
wouldn't have made sense historically to exclude that. But it also, I think, kind of shows you know, in the movie, not to spoil it, but, you know, it's when Fred Hampton starts to really build coalitions with um, those, you know, white and Latino groups that he really, really becomes a true threat, uh, you know, to the powers that be. And, you know, I think especially in a city like Chicago, um, that historically has been so deeply segregated, um, that was just like unheard of, you know? Uh, so, you know, I think the reason to include that is just a testament to his power, um, but it's also just historically accurate. And uh, it's so interesting to have you on, Shaka, as well as Juan, co-host of Democracy Now!, but one of the co-founders of the Young Lords. Juan, um, when Fred Hampton was assassinated in his own bed, along with Mark Clark, the impact it had on you and the Young Lords... Well, yes, well, the, uh, clearly there were the lords in Chicago as well as some of the young lords uh, in New York who had worked closely with uh, Fred Hampton, um, specifically Pablo Yoruba Guzman was working with him a couple of months before he was killed. Uh, so it was felt across the nation that uh, Fred Hampton was already seen uh, as really one of the uh, one of the leaders nationwide of the Panther Party. And, uh, and so his murder really was a shock throughout the country. Uh, and there were many protests, not just in Chicago, but across the country against the, uh, the, his assassination. I wanted to go to two clips because what's happened this weekend with this film um, premiering at the Sundance Film Festival on the first day of Black History Month, um, I wanted to turn to Daniel Kaluuya, the, uh, who played Chairman Fred Hampton, talking about the scene in which he delivers the speech to one of his largest, most diverse audiences just after coming out of prison being in that moment and saying his words and seeing everyone being in Cleveland, seeing everyone's faces, seeing that it just felt like he was in the room, if I'm, if I'm being honest. And it didn't, it felt like, like I said, it's like something's going through you and you're a vessel. Um, and it was just, I don't really, if I'm being honest, I don't really remember the takes. Like I don't, like I watched the trailer and I was like, I don't really remember that. Like I usually remember takes. So I was like, I don't really remember that. I remember that, but I just kind of left. I kind of bit of me left and I remember I'd go in between takes, like the the, the background artists were like calling, calling Chairman Fred, Chairman Fred, Chairman Fred. You know, it's like he was in the room, it was him, you know, because it, it was his words, it was his energy, it was his, his, his purpose, his message, his ideas um, that was coming through all of us in that, that, in that room. That's Daniel Kaluuya uh, of Get Out fame, starring as Fred Hampton. Shaka, I was watching you and Questlove, whose film was also premiering the Summer of Soul uh, at uh, Sundance, having a conversation, and you talked about this moment that you filmed um, uh, Fred Hampton, uh, of course, Daniel, um, giving this speech and what that was like. Can you you bring us behind the scenes what he'd just gotten off a plane yeah he, he'd been doing um press for queen and slim for a week and so he'd been away from the shoot for a week uh, he hadn't played for it in a week and um you know he he woke up late uh it was the only time he woke up late and i know he was nervous and he you know he, he walked into the church and we just i mean i can't express how that day is really we, we had a lot of moments on set where, you know, we, we kind of felt confirmation. 
information that we were doing the right thing. Um, but none quite like that day because it almost felt like everyone was trapped in a time warp. And everyone was treating him like, like Fred that day. I mean, the first take, he came up those steps um, and just the way that the crowd greeted him, it really did feel like, you know, Fred Hampton just came out of prison and was welcomed, you know, with open arms by the community that loves him. Um, and that energy that they gave to him he fed off of and it just became a it it, it it ceased to become a performance um specifically in that scene it really became you know just a very real thing it's an astounding um, moment i also want to go to lakeith stanfield who plays william o'neill the fbi informant in judas and the black messiah speaking in a q a with sag after i think there's just nuances to characters and so I don't know, I always try to keep that in mind that there was some love in, in O'Neill, even though he may have done things that we don't understand and agree with, I had to find that love. And it wasn't always easy, you know. I'd be crying and telling Shaka, like, yo, I don't know, what the is this? You know, especially when we got down to the scenes where I had to make a decision to, like, poison bread or whatever. I was up about that. I couldn't even keep it together for the scene because I was just like, man, you know, everything just felt so, so real. So I just had to find the, the truth in it and try to move and trust in that. Keith played William O'Neill. What you want people to take away from this film, Shaka, and the significance of getting it out to this mass audience? A number of things. Um, you know, I think one of the reasons to make O'Neill a, a central character is, to me, in a lot of ways, in terms of his storyline and looking about the dangers of being apolitical, um, and you know, not only how it can lead to you know deep manipulation and you know uh, one you know destabilizing movement, but you know, William O'Neill's life came to a, a bitter end. Um, you know, because of the decisions he made, they, they didn't just hurt other people, they ultimately hurt him, even though he, you know, made them in a very self-serving manner. Um, you know, I think um, there's also obviously a desire to, you know, make it clear that the Panthers, you know, were largely motivated by love, love of each other, love of their community, love of their people, um, you know, and to kind of correct the historical record, you know, these weren't like terrorists and, you know, uh, just individuals interested in, you know, targeting white people and, and hateful white people is just a total fictive. Um, you know, I think uh, in regards to Roy Mitchell's a, a primary character in the film and William O'Neill's handler, you know, I, I, there's a reason why we kind of tried to make him complex as well, because I think that in a lot of ways, you know, his character highlights the dangers of being a white centrist, um, especially, you know, when you're a white person who, um, you know, works for the white power structure uh, and, and it doesn't get more, you know, you don't find anyone who does that even more so than an FBI agent. So, um, we have five seconds. I think there's a myriad of things to, to take away from it, but, but those are some. So I encourage you guys to go and check that film out. It is, uh, it promises to be very good. I've seen it already. It is very good. And uh, you will uh, truly enjoy it. <clears throat> it will be a uh, some uh, good and valuable time that you spend with yourselves and your families. I hope you get your, your, your uh, children and uh, uh, to watch this as well so they 
will not just know where they're going, but they will know where they came from. I thank y'all so much for tuning in to another episode of Chilling with Teddy G on this historical uh, Black History Month and uh, learning about uh, Fred Hampton. As I tell you guys at the end of every show, always please continue to do your social distancing. Please continue to wear your outer gear. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, your outer gear, your gloves, your shoe coverings, your glasses, your face shields, and your face masks is definitely... You know, you have to continue to wash your hands for 20 seconds or more to keep them uh, free of this virus. Um, when you're outside for any extended amount of time, you know you need to get in the house and remove those clothes and put them in the machine right away. Don't let them sit around. Get them clean and get them fresh and get yourselves in the bathroom and get yourselves uh, tidied up and uh, freshened up before you decide to relax in your home to reduce the spread of this virus. Now, as I always tell you, your immune system the number one defense, ladies and gentlemen, against this virus or any other virus out here is a healthy and strong immune system. So you need to be taking care of, care of it by eating the proper meals, by uh, consuming the proper vitamins, by eating the proper uh, vegetables and fruits and nuts and berries and seeds and garlic and onions and lemons and G-bombs. Oh, don't forget your G-bombs. They're one of the number one builders of a healthy and strong immune system. And we all know that a healthy and strong immune system will prevent you from getting this virus. But in the unlikely event that you test positive for, you'll be able to get rid of it with little to no medication. Now, I love you guys. Giving you guys this information is a love and a passion of mine. And loving you guys is my food. And as you know, Teddy G is hungry each and every single day of his life. And until I see y'all again, I bid each and every one of you peace, love, and soul.